Let's uh, think a moment. Who here doesn't already know that we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that new material? Is that a revelation to you? That we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Probably not. In fact, you may wonder, is there anything new to be said on that subject? And probably not. And aren't we already committed to the idea of showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ? You're a loving congregation. And I know that you're concerned about one another. You pray for one another. So then why talk about loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, key verses 9 and 10. Paul switches topics. Last week we looked at sexual immorality. Now we're looking at love in a totally different light. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. No matter how much we know, no matter how committed we are to the idea of loving one another, we can always do better. And so this morning's message is about how we can do better in our love one for another. We start with the idea that the teaching that we love one another is nothing new to the Thessalonians or to us. It says in verse 9, For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We have been taught that we need to love our enemies. Luke 6.27 But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. We are commanded to love our neighbor. Luke, uh, Leviticus 19.18 You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we are told that we are to love one another by Jesus. He said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, in our passage, we are told about brotherly love. One of the interesting things about our passage is that the word that's used for love here. Most of you realize that the common Greek word for love in the Bible is agape. It talks about a a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for us when he died on the cross in our place. One of giving great sacrifice for the benefit of others. That's not the word that's used here. It's the word phileo. And I don't usually go a lot into Greek words, but it's phileo. It's a compound word, phileo, uh, meaning love, and autophos, your brother. And uh, that ought to sound familiar to you. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's founded by William Penn. He was a Quaker. <coughs> and his hope and <coughs> expectation was that there would be a city that would be different from other cities on the face of this earth. The uh, people that were uniquely bonded together, cared for each other, helped each other, and that they would be a community that together they might serve God. Well, I don't know that everything turned out exactly the way he had anticipated, but uh, we have Philadelphia 
the city of brotherly love. That's exactly what this word means. It's a brotherly love. It's a familial love, a family love, a love that exists between siblings, between siblings, between brothers and sisters. There are degrees of love. There are various kinds of love. All right. You might love a good steak. You might love your wife, probably in different ways. All right. Uh, the way you kiss your grandmother is different the way than you kiss your wife. The way that we show love to people that are our enemies is a different way than we show love to those that are our friends. And in this passage, there is a unique love that's to be manifested among God's people. A familial love. A fraternal love. And we use that term, a fraternal order, meaning an order of brothers. And uh, one of those ways in which that's often used is a fraternal order of police. That the police see themselves as a brotherhood. They see themselves as committed to one another. Uh, they have a unique relationship. And I'm often impressed uh, when there is a death of an officer uh, in line of duty. How the uh, other policemen show up in incredible force uh, to give comfort to demonstrate allegiance and concern for such an individual. They are a, a brotherhood. That's this word. They're a brotherhood. We are to be a, a family. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should have a love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that's akin to a family kind of love. Paul says that he has no need to write to them about demonstrating brotherly love. Verse 10. For indeed you do practice it. On the one hand, Paul has no need to address brotherly love because the Thessalonians are already practicing brotherly love. Paul acknowledges that the Thessalonians are demonstrating love towards all their brothers and sisters in Christ without discrimination. Notice verse 10. For indeed you practice it toward all the brethren. There aren't cliques in this church. There aren't Entities that are being left out. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, there are loads of cliques. And there's division. Some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. Others say I'm of, of a Peter. And those that want to be real spiritual say, no, no, we're followers of Christ. But they're divided. They, they're a clique. They are splinter groups. Paul says that you practice love toward all the brethren. That's commendable. In fact, there is no rebuke whatsoever in this passage. And Paul acknowledges that the Thessalonians are showing brotherly love, not to just others in Thessalonica, but throughout all of Macedonia. Notice verse 10. Practice it toward all of the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So they're not just concerned about their own little group. They're not just in bread. They're not just concerned about the church at Thessalonica. But they're concerned about God's people scattered throughout Macedonia. That means people they don't even know personally. People that they don't have any involvement with day to day. But yet they practice love towards those people as well. You see, that's, that's all very commendable. So then, why does Paul 
address this subject with the Thessalonians? Answer, because there's always room for encouragement. Paul encourages the Thessalonians to practice their love in an even more abundant manner. Notice the end of verse 10. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. And now these words, but we urge you, brethren, to excel, excel still more. Other translations translate this more and more, such as the NIV. Yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. The word excel, the, Hebrew, the Greek word that lies behind it, literally means to have leftovers in abundance. He wants them to practice love to such a degree that there are leftovers. That they can't exhaust the amount of love that's being experienced. They've had their fill. They're satisfied. They're complete. They're stuffed. And yet there's still more love to go around. That's what he wants. A love that knows no limit. A love that knows no end. So, what does this brotherly love look like? What is it exactly that Paul wants them to do? What is he asking from them? And before I go to the text, that might be a good question for all of us to stop and ponder. There are three things in this text in which epitomize or characterize the manifestation of brotherly love. Before we go there, I, I would just encourage you, just think for a moment. Can you come up with them? Well, what do you think brotherly love looks like? What does God want you to do? What are the three things that manifest itself in brotherly love? I think we might be a bit surprised. I'll tell you, I wouldn't have come up with these three things before I studied this text. Uh, we might be surprised. Let's look at it. First, we show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by setting as a goal to live peaceably with others. Let me say that again. We show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by setting as a goal to live peaceably with others. It's found in verse 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. That's where I have gotten the word to set as a goal. Set as a goal. Other places translate this as study. Study. The idea is actually both of those put together. It's to make it as a goal and then establish a plan to accomplish it. Think it through. Here's my goal. To lead a quiet life. Well, how am I going to do that? Set up a game plan. All found in this simple word translated in English in the NAS as make it your ambition. Make it your ambition. Set it as a goal. Establish a plan. To do what? To lead a quiet life. To be quiet is to be peaceable, gentle, meek. Just so happens that tonight we're looking at the third beatitude, which is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here it says, strive to live a meek life. Meek life. What does meekness 
look like. We, we tend to think of being meek as, as a doormat, being walked all over. I'll say a lot more about that tonight. But let me just give you one verse. Acts 21.14 And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. That's the word that's in this text for meekness. To fall silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. How do I live a quiet and peaceable life? Well, first, learn to leave more things in God's hands. We get worried, we get exercised, we become disquieted about things and about others because we think we've got to fix everything. We think we've got to come up with a solution for everything. Learn to let God work with his people. Learn to let go and allow God to do the hands-on work. We don't have to address every issue in somebody else's life. We don't need to constantly be confronting people. Allow the Holy Spirit to work and bring conviction. We should set as a goal the opposite. Not to be contentious, quarrelsome, difficult, or hard to get along with. We should be peacemakers. We are to live peaceably with our brothers. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then the admonition, live in peace with one another. That's what this living a quiet life is about. Living in peace with one another. Learn to get along with other people. Don't be contentious. Don't be quarrelsome. Learn how to get along with other people. Think about it. Establish a game plan. What can you say? What can you do? How can you respond? What is it that I need to do to live at peace with my brother? Because that's what we're called to do. Show brotherly love. Live in peace with one another. Secondly, we show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by setting as a goal to mind our own business. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, that's the first. Second, and attend to your own business. I love the NIV's translation. It's very accurate. To mind your own business. I think we've all heard that phrase. That we know what that means. Mind your own business. Who would have thought that that's brotherly love? Who would have thought that that's what God wants of us? That we learn to mind our own business. Stay out of meddling in other people's lives. We need to maintain an appropriate distance. Now, here's the dilemma. We don't want to be far removed from people. We don't want to be aloof or distant. And at the same time, we don't want to be too close or meddling. We need to give people, in the more common vernacular, their space. 
their space. Uh, there is a, a comfortable space that exists when people talk to each other. Uh, you need to be at least a, a uh, shoulders width apart, even if you're talking very quietly or so. Do you ever have anybody that, that was just right here? That's very uncomfortable. That's very uncomfortable. And uh, we have a term for that. Being in your face. Being in your face. Usually we think of that figuratively, but we get it because there are people in our face. They're, 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 they're so mad that when they, they speak, the saliva gets in your face. Too close. Too close. You should never get that close. So you're spitting on people. All right? And, and, and the idea here is that even as Christians, you can get uncomfortably close with other people. You can invade their space. You can transgress into the area of what ought to be private. That's between them and the Lord. This is not teaching us to selfishly look only on our own needs. Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. That's what we usually hear. And we usually emphasize the fact that we need to be concerned about others. We need to know what they're going through. We need to reach out to people. We need to be concerned about them. Now, we need to realize that we need to be careful... We need to be careful so that that which couldn't be a healthy concern may result in an odious, oppressive involvement in other people's lives. We need to be careful that we don't meddle. Some ways that we can think about this. First, it's teaching us to realize that there's, there's much that we don't know and understand about people's situations. I would encourage you, stay away from asking very probing questions of people. It's rude. And in many ways, it's thoughtless. If they want to volunteer the information, that's fine. But don't go and ask them a lot of probing questions about things that you don't know and, most importantly, don't need to know. Don't need to know. You know, there's that, that, that uh, military uh, aspect of operating on what you need to know. Well, that's the way we ought to deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are things that we need to know. And there's a whole lot of things we don't need to know. We don't need people to always explain everything they're doing. We shouldn't always ask their, their motives of why they did this or why weren't you there or why didn't this happen. We don't have to have an explanation. They, they don't owe it to us. They're not obligated to us. Be careful with probing questions. Let people volunteer information that they want to give you. If you are open and if you are receptive, 
People will come to you. People will come to you. You don't have to go searching it out. People want someone to listen to their problems. People are looking for someone to confide in. People are looking for someone they can trust. If you're that kind of first person, you don't need to run after. People will flock to you. They'll be beating down your door to talk to you about, about certain things. And if people aren't talking to you about them, maybe they're talking to somebody else. We can't have an intimate relationship with everybody. Some people talk with people over here and they're very comfortable. Other people are talking to people over here. They're very comfortable. Okay? Not everybody has to talk to me. Not everybody has to talk to you. Not everybody has to just lay their life open and make their, their life an open book. Be careful. Be careful that we don't meddle in other people's lives. Seeking to know more than what we need to know or should know. Thirdly, we show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by setting as a goal to work hard and not have to rely on other people's generosity. Notice verse 11. The first, make it your ambition, number one, to lead a quiet life. Secondly, to attend to your own business. And now third, work with your hands. The admonition to work with your hands simply means to work hard. doesn't necessarily mean that you actually have to be doing physical labor. It's saying that you need to work hard in order to supply for yourself. Take care of your own needs. Paul himself had been a good example of this. If you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was concerned about being a burden to the Thessalonians. He was concerned that, that they were going to have to go without in order to meet his needs. And Paul said, I worked hard. I worked day and night. Just so that I wouldn't have to be a burden to you. Just so you wouldn't have to supply my needs. Paul had told the Thessalonians verbally, and now he reminds them in writing of these very things. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Last phrase, just as we commanded you. Just as we commanded you. Not just as we are commanding, but it's in the past tense. We already commanded you. We already taught you these things. Now we're bringing it to your remembrance. That you need to work hard so as not to be a burden to anyone else. This must have been a problem in the Thessalonian church. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And my intention is that when we finish 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to work right through 2 Thessalonians. So we'll get here. But this morning, we see that even when Paul was at Thessalonica, it seemed that some had an entitlement mentality. An entitlement mentality. People that just thought that other people owed them stuff. We certainly live in a culture 
where people have an entitlement mentality, when they think that other people owe it to them. And sometimes Christians think that other Christians owe it to them to such a way that they become irresponsible. So Paul writes in Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Wow. Wow. You see, that, that ought to be an interesting, that ought to kind of hit you between the eyes. Because in some ways, it, it just seems so unchristian. You know, the, the church at Jerusalem sold everything, had all things common. But the problem was they became the poor saints of Jerusalem. And other people had to meet their needs because they'd given up everything they had. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. These individuals were simply refusing to work. If you look at verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 3.11. For we hear that some among you are living an undisciplined life, doing no work at all. These people aren't doing anything. Laying around. Lazy. And they are irresponsible. Verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 3.11 Leading an undisciplined life. Let me ask you. Do you ever run into Christians or people that profess faith in Lord Jesus Christ that live very undisciplined lives that aren't working and expect other people to be meeting their needs? You sure do. You sure do. People that live very disciplined lives, that are uh, doing no work at all, and they are living irresponsibly. And then notice the last statement of verse 11 of Second Thessalonians 3. But acting like busybodies. Acting like busybodies. These actually grow out of each other. They, they build on each other. You see, right before this, it was mind your own business. These people aren't taking care of their own affairs and they're being busybodies. They're gossiping, they're running around and they're talking about people, probably negatively, those people that aren't meeting their needs, those people aren't helping them, those selfish Christians, those people, why aren't they more concerned about me? Why aren't they doing this for me? And that entitlement mentality. That's not brotherly love. Getting upset with people and think, well, they owe it to me. No. It's about giving, not receiving. It's about providing for others, not, not taking. It's in the words of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. That is not on the forefront of most people's thoughts. Most people don't come to church with the, with the question of what can I do for the church or for others. Most people come to a church asking the question, what can the church do for me? I would say to you a typical response of an individual that walks into a church that has a, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. They're looking around to see what kind of youth group they have. I'm using this example because we're blessed. We have a wonderful youth group. It's well attended. It's very active. That's what people are looking for. But this couple comes into a little church of which there's no youth group in existence. And so they say to themselves... 
Well, I don't want to go here. There's no youth group. They don't say to themselves, wow, there's no youth group. We could help get one started. We, we, could, we could be a blessing to this church. That's not on most people's radar. Most people say, what does this church have to offer me? Not, what do I have to offer this church? Where do they really need me? When I move into a committee, into a, a community, where should I go that I can really be used of God? That's not on most people's radar. And here the thought is of living an undisciplined, ungodly life. Now, obviously, we need these caveats. You can never say in one message everything that the Bible says about everything. It'd be impossible. And most of the time, I I just try to stay with the text. But we do need some safeguards. Number one, some people are disabled and cannot work. This is not being addressed in our text. This isn't talking about people that can't work. This is about people who won't work. And there's a huge difference between people who can't and people who won't. Secondly, this is not talking about people who cannot find work. This is not the issue. There are those that would love to work, but are finding it very hard to get a job. We're talking about irresponsible, lazy people who don't want to work, who become busybodies and think it's everybody else's responsibility to feed them. Wrong. And that's not brotherly love. That's exploitation. That's manipulation. That's taking advantage of somebody else. We should not exploit others. We should not make other people's life miserable to make our life one of ease. Brotherly love does not exploit others. Brotherly love does not take advantage of others. Brotherly love seeks to lessen the load of others, not to add to it. Not to add to it. Those are the three aspects of brotherly love taught in our text. Did you come up with the three? Probably not. Probably not. Let's look at the fruit of the goals to be achieved in loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. What, what should result? Well, first, we will gain the respect of non-believers by demonstrating a genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. NIV translates this, so that you... Your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. The Christian community ought to be the envy of the non-believing world. The Christian community ought to be the envy of the non-believing world. People that are outside of the church ought to marvel at the church's committedness to each other. They ought to say, wow, I'd love to be a part of that community. You know, one of the, the testimonies of the, of the Amish community is their barn raisings. When a barn burns down, a flood happens and that thing collapses, and the church just comes together, the body of, of God's people come together and erect this building in no time. Everybody marvels at that. Everybody marvels at that. 
even a uh, non-believing world. I, it just so happened that I was uh, somewhere talking to someone that I don't know very well that uh, experienced a lot of damage through the flood. And uh, said to me, you know, at this point, I wish I was an Amishman. They could all just come in and fix my basement. Said it very glibly, said it very offhandedly, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. When you're known for something praiseworthy, and somebody says, you know, I wish I was part of that group. I wish I I was part of that group. You know, we have a, a group of men that have put on roofs on people's houses in our congregation to help them so it would not be so so it would not be so expensive. I think the first house they ever did was mine. And that just expanded. How many houses have been done now? Give me a rough guess. Ray, speak to me. Twenty? Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen, twenty, whatever the case may be. But, but the point is they're out there. And probably people don't even know that. You would not believe some of the stuff our deacons are doing in order to, to help other people. It ought to be a marvel. I just gave an example in the beginning of this message of the Fraternal Order of Police and one of the things I marvel at. And that is their attendance at funerals. Attendance at funerals. How that when a, a, a brother uh, policeman is killed in, lack, in the uh, line of duty or a fireman. You know, the fire trucks are out. The, 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 the lights are on. There's this humongous parade that coming together. Wow. If that's true in a secular organization, how much more should that be true in the life of the church? Rallying behind one another so that people would envy us. Would love to be a part of a church like that. Wow, how appealing that is. How appealing that is. That may be there. The NAS transits this way. So that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. The NAS takes it and puts it with a second clause. Which would translate into this. Act in such a way that you aren't dependent upon non-Christians to meet your needs. It's one thing to be dependent upon your fellow believers. It's it's even another to go a step further and become dependent upon non-Christians. That through not working, through being irresponsible, that we're actually now asking non-believers to meet our needs. And we're certainly there. In our society and culture, we're looking to government to supply our needs. Again, there are some legitimate reasons for some people. But the second fruit of fulfilling the goal of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is that we will not be dependent upon our brothers and sisters in Christ or even non-Christians for the things we should supply ourselves. Look at verse 12. So that you may behave properly toward outsiders. And now these words, and not be in need, and not be in any need. There's an old adage that there is no man is an island. We are in need of our 
brothers and sisters in Christ. But the goal is not to be dependent upon other people. The goal is, and there are all times in which we need each other, but the goal is to try to live our lives in such a way as we can help others. They don't need to help us. To live our lives in such a way as that we provide an abundance that not only are we meeting our needs, but we can help meet other people's needs. That's brotherly love. And it's not brotherly love to be on the taking end. I'm not talking about anybody that the deacons have helped or, or any of those kinds of situations, okay? I was glad. I said thank you for when they put a roof on my house. That was a, a wonderful thing they did. It was a, a gesture of kindness, okay? There's nothing wrong with receiving. It's the mental state that says, they owe it to me. They owe it to me. What's wrong with them? It's the same kind of mental state that people will say, you know, people will say to me, I went to church this morning and nobody talked to me. Nobody said a word to me. I'm so tempted in those situations. I don't do it, but I'm tempted, so I'll do it now. I, I want to say to them, that means you didn't talk to anybody. That means you didn't greet anybody. That means you didn't say hello to anybody. That means you didn't take a step to try to minister to somebody else. But they never view it that way. They don't come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I didn't talk to anybody today. I've never had anybody do that. Not once in my ministry. Did anybody come to me and lament, I went to church and I came home and I didn't greet anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody has ever done that. But I wish I had a buck for everybody that said, I went to church and nobody talked to me. That's not brotherly love. That's not thinking of other people before yourself. The goal is to be a giver, not a taker. That's how I show love for my brother and sister in the Lord. To be able and ready to meet their needs. So, what does it mean to show love to our brothers and sisters? Paul says, I don't need to write to you. I don't, I don't need to tell you. You know. And he says, you're doing it. And I just use one example of putting roofs on people's houses. There are so many examples I could use this morning. Positive examples of the way in which you're showing love toward, towards each other. I used one negative. There's loads of positive examples. I say to you just more and more. So the three things. Number one, as much as possible, as much as it lies within you, live at peace with everybody else. Live at peace with everybody else. Get along. Secondly, don't meddle in other people's lives. Don't become a busybody. Don't become a gossip. Don't feel like you need to know the private doings of someone else. And thirdly, take responsibility for your own life. Don't become a burden or dependent upon other people. It is truly a godly concern when I have to put other people out for helping me. Which said, you know, there is nothing wrong with being helped. 
But it's terribly wrong to be helped and think that somebody owes it to you. Never lose sight of their kindness. Never lose sight of their grace. Never lose sight of their goodness. Don't develop an entitlement mentality. They owe it to me. No. They're being gracious to me. That will promote our love for one another. In so doing, we'll have a tremendous testimony outside the church. And we will not be a burden to those within the church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. Help us, we pray, to show more love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Even as Paul wrote, uh, we know these things. And I believe we're practicing these things. But yet, Lord, we can do so more and more. So help us in the genuine manifestation of brotherly love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.